couple of weeks ago, we were going through this household code of Paul's. In Colossians, there's one that's almost identical. In Ephesians, where Paul is saying, this is how you relate to one another, how husbands and wives connect, how parents and children relate. And he talks about slaves and masters, and we're going to look at that this morning. We're not going to talk slave and master. We're going to talk employee employer. There are actually quite a number of parallels. Some of you, that's not a stretch for you at all to believe that there are parallels, but there are connections there um, for us. Just a quick review. These household codes, um, you'll find them in many religious systems of Paul's day, had them. Philosophers wrote them. What's distinctive about these Christian household codes is Paul doesn't just address women and children and slaves. He also addressed husband and fathers and masters. And in this case, it's the same guy. It's one guy was all three of those things. And he's saying, here are your responsibilities as well. So for those of you who find yourself in those roles, husband, father, or employer, there is something special in here for you, I would say. Quick review, husbands and wives, kind of the the overall uh, dynamic there is to serve one another, not to grasp. Husbands are supposed to love their wives sacrificially. Wives are supposed to submit to their husbands respectfully. But neither one, like I'm not demanding submission and Misty is not demanding love, our thing is who can serve each other the best. That's what it looks like in a marriage. Um, Parents and children, we said this is true no matter how old your children are. Kids, our job is to honor our parents. Parents, our job is to not discourage or dishearten our kids, but to show them the way to live. And what that really looks like is respecting one another. It's weird to talk about respecting your children, particularly when they're young. What I mean by that is respecting that God has created them in his image and he has given them a personality and he has given them strengths and weaknesses and likes and dislikes and they, they ha- he has good works for them to go after. And as a parent, again, whether your kids are 8 or 38, your job is to help your kids become the people God wants them to be, to help them be conformed to the image of Jesus, not into your own image, and to help them do the things God has created for them to do, not to do the things that you want them to do. So that's what I mean by respect. It's, it's respecting the fact that God has created them in his image, not in yours, and that he has things for them. Um, good. Slaves and masters, pick up in verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the parallel in Ephesians 6. Slaves, obey your masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. Again, for us, we don't live in a slave-type society, but there are a lot of parallels between employer and employee relations. Everyone, I would say in here, You probably have worked for somebody, you are working for somebody, or you might be in the future. And if you're not, it's probably because you're married to somebody who is an employer or an employee. So we all, this is an integral part of our life. It's a large chunk. If you look at the amount of time that you spend 
on your job every week, not just the hours that you give, the time that you spend thinking about it, the stress that it piles onto your heart, all of those things. It's a significant portion of all of our lives, and I think that's one of the reasons why Paul addresses it. It's interesting to me that he spends more time talking to slaves, so for us, he spends more time talking to employees than he does husbands or wives or parents or children or employers. It's employees, it's slaves who get the most treatment in Ephesians, in Colossians, and then also in First Peter, and, and it's in First Peter 2, I think 21, you can read that later, but uh, Peter says in there, you have to, what we're talking about now, you have to do whether or not your boss is a good guy or a bad guy, so sorry for some of you that uh, you had to hear that. There's no excuses um, for what we're talking about. So he says to employees, to slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Very simple. If you work for somebody, you do your job. That's what it means to obey your master in everything. You, you do your job. You get that. You know that. But Paul pushes farther than just doing your job. It's not just a matter of your performance. He says this is how you need to do it. And he, and he pushes into the heart. And again, it's interesting to me that he doesn't do that with husbands or wives or parents or children. When it comes to this employee relationship, he talks about how you do it. And he says do it uh, in Ephesians, serve wholeheartedly or with a singleness of purpose. And in Colossians, he says serve with sincerity of heart. Actually, the same phrase is in Ephesians as well, which has to do with integrity or engaging your heart in what you're doing. We serve wholeheartedly, and we, or we serve, we obey with the sincerity of heart. It's not enough just to do your job well externally. Paul wants to know what's going on in your heart as well. He's getting to motivation and to motive. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. And to employers, it's very simple what he says. Provide what is right, that's what's just and what's fair, what's equitable easy for us to immediately think money. I think that's absolutely part of it. If you're someone who's in charge, part of your responsibilities is setting salary for other folks, you need to hear this. It's not what's the least I can pay them and have them not revolt. It doesn't necessarily mean what's the most I can pay them without the company going broke, but it's what's right here, what's fair, what's equitable, and what is just in this situation. My bias, I'm always for the underdog. So when I read this, I'm thinking wives, children, and employees. And I'm uh, to the husbands and the fathers and the employer, even though I'm all three of those things. So my bias is towards the... So I want you to hear that when I'm talking. But this is what I would say to those of you who are in positions of leadership. Whether you're the boss or you're a manager and you have people who report to you, but you also have people you report to. If, if you're in a position where people professionally report to you, I think... There's a, there's a pretty big weight on you in terms of how you treat them. It, to me, impossible for you to ever have a significant conversation or any impact with anyone who reports to you on any issue that is heart-level, life-type issue if you don't treat them well. You can't. You've got no credibility. Same thing I would say to a dad. Don't you try to talk to your kids about having a heavenly father. If you're a sorry earthly father, it just doesn't work. That connection is too tight between I see you as a father and you're talking to me about a father up here. If your character is not mirroring his as much as possible in your, that you can do, you're not perfect, but you're trying. That gap 
will cause all kinds of confusion for your children. I would say the same thing for those of you who are employers. If you're, if you're talking as a boss, and we're talking about having a, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and Jesus is our Lord and He's our Master, they're going to put your face when they fill in the blank. And if you don't treat them well, if you don't give them, and I don't just mean financially, if you don't give them what is fair and what is just, you've got no shot at ever influencing them towards anything significant spiritually. They won't hear you. All they're going to remember is the times that you made them work late and you didn't thank them, the times that you took credit for whatever they did, the time that you stabbed them in the back or you didn't listen to their excuse, whatever it is. You know how that works. You've got to be willing, as an employer, to me, you serve. Jesus said it very clearly in Mark 10. I know you, you, it doesn't work in business. It does. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. It shouldn't be so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. I know servant leadership, that's kind of a buzzword. It wasn't with Jesus. It was the way he lived. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he was willing, he says, to be a slave. We're not the King of kings, and we're not the Lord of lords. So certainly we can serve the people who work for us in whatever capacity that is. Until we begin to take on that posture, we've missed it completely as employers. We're never going to have influence with our people. We might think we do, but it's only positional. The only reason they're listening to us is because we signed their paycheck. And once they're gone from us professionally, they're gone from our life. That's not the type of relationship, that you, the influence that you want to cultivate. You want to cultivate the type of influence that's personal. It's based on who you are. And it doesn't matter if you still have a business relationship or not. Because of who you are and who you've been to them, they continue to look to you as a person of influence. If you're doing that, the only way to me to do that as an employer, as a manager, a boss, whatever you want to say, is by intentionally looking for opportunities to serve the people who work for you. I know that can, maybe that seems counterintuitive, but we have to begin to do that. It's what Jesus said we had to do. A couple of ditches that you can fall into. Paul talks about people who um, work only when there. That means your employer, when your master's eye is on you. And he talks about people who only work to win the favor of their master or their employer. And to me, that's, there's two ditches. That idea of working only when their eye is on you. The word for that is eye service. And so I think there are these eye servicers, people who only work when someone's looking at them. That's kind of the classic slacker, the guy who's playing spider solitaire until his boss walks by and you click the other window and bring up the spreadsheet and then you shrink it when they walk or you're sleeping in the truck or, you know, you take an extra 45 minutes at lunch, whatever that, you get that. It's kind of that classic slacker. If you're doing that, you're stealing from your boss and you need to quit. Like that's Christianity 101. You can't act that way. I don't care how bad your job is or how much of a moron your boss is. If you're doing that, you're stealing and you need to quit. I don't think that's the problem that most of us have. I think the problem most of us have who fall into this eye service category, another layer of that is people who don't engage their heart. That's why Paul says with sincerity of heart to serve wholeheartedly. What he's getting at is the how that we work, not just what we're producing, but how. And for many of you, you disconnect your job from the Lord. 
your job from your deal, your job from your calling. There's a disconnect there for you. And so you've got this 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week over here that you're just kind of, you might, be a, you might produce great results. It's not that you're a bad employee at all, but your heart is not engaged in what you're doing. And it could very well be because you don't see the connection between what you're doing and what God is doing. You're just paying the bills with this job. I get that, I know what some of you do, and that can be an easy trap for us to fall into. But according to Paul, it's wrong. He says we need to work with sincerity of heart. That is engaging our heart in what we're doing. Not just so people can see that we're doing well, but because we're actually engaging our heart in what we're doing. So God can see because he looks at the heart. And if that's you, if you tend to fall in that category of someone who just, you're kind of punching the clock, your heart is not really engaged in what you're doing, I'd encourage you to repent. You're missing it on this point. Again, you might be a great employee, great performance reviews, you might be moving up in the company, but you're missing this piece and you need to repent. And then you need to begin to ask the Lord to show you, how does my job relate to my deal? Or how does my job relate to what you're doing in this community? At the very least, there's some relationships that are available to you because of your job. The UPS guy comes by, or there's somebody that you're emailing, or your co-worker, whatever, everybody. There's some relationships that are possible because of your job. If nothing else, you've got a job with your boss, you have a relationship with your boss that you wouldn't have otherwise. Begin to see those as an opportunity. Could it be that that's how your job and your deal connect, or that's how your job and what God is doing in our community connect because the people who you're in relationship with through your job, they need Jesus. They need to be encouraged by you. They need to hear something that you're going to say. I know that's a risk. You're thinking, you don't know where I work. If I say, I'm done. I can't talk about those kind of things. I just, just, do, just pray. You don't have to do what I, just ask the Lord to show you how your job connects with what he's doing in our community. Just pray that and be willing to do what he says, period. If he says don't do anything, then you don't have to do anything. But repent, ask him to do that, and then once that's happened for you, once you've begun to engage your heart in your job, which I think if you begin to pray that, you will, you're inviting God into this area of your life, then after you do that, then you can go find something else to do. Because you won't be running away from something, you'll be running to something. You won't be leaving this dead-end job or leaving this job where you can't, where you're not fulfilled or whatever. That's just running away. You'll be moving into something that God has for you. He's almost, God is almost always character first. So the first thing he's going to want is engage your heart in what you're doing, even if it stinks. Engage your heart, even if it's trivial, even if it's mundane. Engage your heart with sincerity of heart. Do this job. If you can't do this job with sincerity of heart, you're not going to do this one with sincerity of heart because the issue is not your job, it's your heart. And you're going to bring it with you. The grass might be greener on the other side, but you're going to bring the same suitcase with you when you go. So we've got to fix that. So wherever you are, ask the Lord, show me how to engage my heart in this work. Show me how what I'm doing, making these widgets or whatever it is that you do, how does that connect with what you're doing in our community? And once you feel like he's done that in your heart, if you feel like you need to go, by all means, find something else to do. Second ditch. Men pleasers. He says, don't just work, don't just do your job to win the favor of those who are in authority over you. 
And again, that word is literally men pleasers. And the idea behind it is people who will sacrifice their principle in order to win the attention or favor of people in authority over them. So anyone who's willing to sacrifice their principles, their values, in order to win attention or favor of people who are in authority over them. Classically, this is the climber who will stab you in the back and take credit for your work and lie about you and you know all of those kind of things in order to get ahead. That's not y'all. Again, if you're doing that, basic Christianity. You're blowing it. You need to stop. But you're not doing that. I think the ditch that we tend to fall into or the way that this looks for us is when we say, God, this is just business. If you've ever said that, then you're, you're teetering on the line of being a man pleaser. This idea that there's this whole world that God just doesn't really have anything to say about. The, the Bible doesn't say anything about how to be a businessman or a contractor or a teacher or whatever it is that you do. God just doesn't understand the real estate business. Now, he just created everything in six days, but he doesn't get the complexities of what you do. You know, when we say that, we don't say it out loud, but we live as if God has nothing to say about what we do at work. We kind of check our faith or our Christianity at the door, and we just put our head down and do what we have to do to be successful or to keep our job or whatever. And I don't think, it, it, it could be you have a hyperactive kind of success drive thing and you're just trying to achieve it could be you're just trying to keep your job and pay the bills, and that's what you feel like you have to do. And so you cut corners, even though you know you're cutting corners spiritually, not with your job. You're cutting corners in terms of your own values. You're shading the truth. You're manipulating people. You're those little checks that you're doing, that you, and you feel it in your heart, but you've justified it, saying it's just business, or this is just the way my industry is. That's this man-pleaser thing, that you're trying to please your client or your boss or your coworker, your customer, whoever, and you're compromising your own values to do it. That's bad. Paul says you can't do that. If that's you, and I, I don't know, I would think that this would tend to land on people maybe who run their own business and have a little more flexibility with what they do. That might not be the case. There might be particular industries, I don't know, where this is more prevalent, there's a little more gray area for some than others. And if that's you, if you know that you tend to compromise, if you're a, you know, I'll just ask, God will forgive me. If you say that to yourself too many times in one day, you're probably pointing in the wrong direction on some things. Of course he'll forgive you. But repentance means I'm turning in the other direction. It doesn't just mean I'm sorry I got caught. And so at some point, we've got to get that down. So if you know, if you're prone to this, I'd encourage you to repent. Again, turn in the other direction. God, I've cut you out of this chunk of my life for whatever reason. It might have been because I wanted to save my house or save this company or provide for these employees that I have or whatever, but I've compromised my value system for the sake of my boss or my clients or my customer base or whatever. Repent and then ask him. This is my suggestion. You know the times when you're tempted. Is it when you're talking to your boss? Is it when you meet with this particular supplier or this particular client or customer? You know there are particular times, particular situations when you feel, when, you, when you're tempted to cross those lines, when you're tempted to trade your values for approval or attention or whatever. 
I would encourage you, look at your calendar, see when those times are coming, and begin to ask the Lord, what am I supposed to do? I failed at this the last seven times. What am I supposed to do when it comes? You see it's on my calendar for next Tuesday. And just, just ask him, and then do what he says. I won't tell you what to do. You just pray and say, God, I need help, because any time this situation occurs, I'm tempted to be selfish, or I'm tempted to lie, or I'm tempted to manipulate. Whatever it is that causes you to compromise your own values, I'm tempted to do that in this situation, and I need your help to not do that. And then you live with the consequences, whatever those are. And I would say going in, just go ahead and prepare yourself. For some of you, 100%. You do that, you're going to get fired. Big deal. You're going to get fired. Jesus said it's better to what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And I would say, what good is it to keep your job and forfeit your soul? What good is it to keep your house and forfeit your soul? Easy for me to say, I know. But those are the, that's, if that's the choice for you if, you, if you're in such a corrupt corporate culture that you're going to face the consequences of following your value system, you probably don't need to be there. And God will take care of you. Some, that's a platitude, but he will. He'll help you find something else that you can do, but you don't need to constantly put yourself in a position where your choices are, please my boss or please Jesus. If that's, if that's the, the, te- the decision that you're having to make on a regular basis, I'd encourage you to think about doing something else or doing what you're doing with somebody else. Paul explicitly says the reason we treat each other this way, he says in Colossians, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So if if that's true for us as employees, I'm not just serving this, I'm not just working for this guy or this company or this institution, I'm working for Jesus. And that's why I act the way I act. And it doesn't matter if my boss is a moron or not. I'm not working for him. I'm working for his boss. It's Jesus. And as employers, he says the same thing to y'all. Treat your employees well. Why? Because you've got a boss. You have a master in heaven. And he, according to Colossians, he pays you back for the wrong that you've done. And according to Ephesians, he pays you back for the good that you've done. So whichever one of those you tend to do, he's going to pay you back for what you've done. So recognize you're under authority as well. Even if you're, you've got the corner office with a big title, you work for somebody. And you want to treat your employees, your slaves, the way he treats his. Because he pays us back. You get all of those things. Let's pray. I think one of the things that can trip us up is when we try to prioritize and there's kind of this suburban Christian mindset, you know, family first. You may have said that. I don't know if I've said that. If you read the Bible, you don't see that. I haven't found a verse that says put your family first. I found this verse that says whoever loves father or mother or brother or sister more than me is not worthy of me. And I found this verse that says seek first the kingdom of God. But I haven't found the family first verse. And some of us as employees, we use that as a shield to not engage in our work. And we kind of, maybe that helps us feel better as Christians on some level. I'm not saying that you trash your family for the sake of your job, but I'm saying if you tend to use 
that idea of family first as, a, as an excuse, really, to not engage, to not do your job well and from your heart. That's an area where you really need to wrestle and repent. You don't have to take my word for it, but I encourage you to read the Bible and see where are you getting this idea. I'm not saying your job is more important. I'm saying the kingdom is the most important, and then everything else falls after that. And if you're using your wife or your husband, if you're using your children as an excuse to not engage, they're not a shield. (laughs) They're people. And the other thing I would say is for some of us, very easy, particularly if you do um, work that you really enjoy or work where you really feel like this is what God has for me. Super easy for your job to consume your life. And it's pretty easy to flip over and think you're holding all this stuff together. And if somehow if you took a break or a vacation or something like that, the whole world's going to fall apart. It's kind of the opposite end of those folks I was just talking about. If that's you, if you're someone who tends to, you might not say you're a workaholic, but somebody else might say you are. If that's you, you need to repent. Ask the Lord to put your job in its proper perspective in your life and your responsibilities in your job in proper perspective as well. Most of us are not quite as important as we think we are when it comes to our work. It's in a slam. It's just a reality. And it will free us up if we realize that. If you love your job, I just want you to begin to thank the Lord for that in your own heart. He's called you into a place where you can be who you are, where you can exercise your gifts and your talents, where you can contribute. If you hate your job, begin to just share that. He probably already knows because you probably told him a hundred times. But if you hate your job, why don't you go ahead and tell him that as well. And tell him what you hate about it. If you're an employer and you love your employees, thank the Lord for them. you're an employer and you don't really love your employees, you should begin to thank the Lord for them also. For all of this, we want to begin to put our work in the context of what God is doing, not cut him off from that. God, our desire as men and women who you've called to work, work is not a result of the curse, it's a result of creation. For some, that's employment outside the home. For others, it's volunteering. For others, it's taking care of family. Whatever it is, God, we want to recognize that what we spend our time doing is connected with what you're doing. And if it's not, we need to figure out why and not waste six and eight and ten hours a day. So, Lord, show us, show each of us what that looks like. I pray particularly for those in jobs where they're frustrated. Lord, I pray that you would show them in the midst of that 
how they're supposed to manage. How they're, what, what are they supposed to do tomorrow? How are they supposed to, with sincerity of heart, obey everything their employer tells them to? God, I pray for grace, for revelation, for courage, for boldness, for all of the things that need to happen. God, I pray for those of us maybe who tend to compromise our values when it comes to doing our job. Maybe it's with the best of intentions. We maybe have even dulled our conscience so much we don't remember where the line is. God, I pray you would redraw those lines in our heart. And God, that we would do our job as followers of, of Jesus. If we would look at what we were doing and say Jesus would not have done that that way, then God, I pray we wouldn't. That for all of us, wherever we are on the organizational chart, God, I pray that the people in our companies who look at us, the people in our customers and clients and suppliers and the people who relate to us professionally, God, I pray that what they're left with after interacting with us, it's this fragrance, this aroma of Christ. God, that you would use us in our work environments to be a blessing to those who we're around, who we interact with. And again, that we would not cut you out of our work life. We would invite you in. And you would give us eyes to see how what we're doing is connected with what, we're, with what you're doing. I want to pray for one other group. If you wish you, you'd take a bad job, because that means you had a job. If you're looking for work right now, if you wouldn't mind slipping your hand up, we want to pray for you especially. And it's a tough place. If you're, open your eyes, and if you see somebody with their hand up, put your hand on their back or their shoulder. And let's uh, pray for these guys who are looking for work right now. Thank you all for raising your hand. It's not an easy thing to do. I would lift up these guys who have said they're looking for work. And we just we ask you to do that. God, we ask for you to open doors for them, for you to make connections for them. If they're people that they need to meet or emails that need to be sent, phone calls that need to be made, Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of these guys directly. This is what your responsibility is in this. This is what you need to be doing. And God, I pray they would do that and nothing else. And they would leave the rest to you. God, if there's a burden uh, with bills or family to take care of things, Lord, I pray that you would relax that, release that burden, that there would be a sense of peace, that you're going to take care of them. I pray as a body you would show us how do we take care of our own when people are struggling financially. And you would speak to us as a body about that. But you know, ultimately, we're, we're, just, we're looking to you. You know what's out there. and You know what you've created these guys for. And we pray, God, for fulfilling, for viable, for joy-filled work. And that you, even this week, there would be some things that would happen on the job front for these guys that would be an encouragement to them. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good.